Yeah, so the way I messaged Lewis was I didn't make it about me at all. And this is a good tip for anybody who's watching or listening. Yes. Nobody, nobody wants to, nobody wants to hang around with the random twenty-five-year-old kid who wants to kick a ball or the complete unknown. But they have time yeah. if somebody is being of service to that person. So I knew that if I made it about him and him only, or him and somebody else, something that can benefit him, there's a good chance yeah. that he'll listen to me. Whereas if I say the letter I, or I make it about me, there's a good chance he gets that all the time. But he's not going to listen. So my pressure yeah. with Lewis at the time, although I consider him a friend now was to be off service to him without expectation. So I was off service to him without expectation, trying to add value to his experience in London. And he got back to me because of that. So if you are going to reach out to somebody who you consider a mentor, you have to be off service to that person without expectation. Because if you kind of go in with the fanboy approach, they'll acknowledge you and they'll appreciate you, but they might not respect you in, in terms of uh, meeting up with you and spending spending the day with you. Hi, just a quick request. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take a minute to write a review and leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts because it helps us climb the charts and reach more listeners like yourself. Hello listeners. This is the first episode of the Steal My Marketing Podcast where I interview entrepreneurs and talk to them about their radical ideas. In my years of reading about successful people, I've come to realize that they always use a set of tools in their lives. And some of these are mindset tools, how they wire their brain to put themselves in a position to succeed. And my goal is to talk to them, uncover those tools and tactics and give them to you so that you can upgrade your own business and your own life. Our first guest is Jamie McDonald, awesome entrepreneur. He has got 400,000 followers on TikTok. He's the social media manager for Dean Graziosi. Matthew Hussey and Louis Howey from the School of Greatness podcast. We talked to him about how he has built multiple streams of income at a very young age, how to use social media in this day and age, and the power of networking. Let's hear from him. So believe it or not, despite the accent, I was born in uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland. So I'm actually from Northern Ireland. Not a lot of people know that, to be honest. But yeah. um, I kind of grew up in like a in a broken home, I guess. Um, you know, my, my I had a very caring mum, but my dad was very violent, and that kind of meant that I I moved to ten different places between you know birth to six years old, just moving from pillar to post because of that. Um, the only sort of safe haven or you know place of love that I had was at my grandparents' house, and because my dad was so violent, it meant that I could only see my grandparents once a year. So effectively, it felt like they were they were ripped away from me. So as a child, I was pr- pretty messed up. Uh, moved from Northern Ireland down to Southern Ireland and like the ages of like only like four to six but I was a victim of, of racism kids didn't know at the time so like I was the only kid from Northern Ireland in a Republic of Ireland council estate and shocked me like when kids don't know any better they're pretty ruthless so um yeah I, I was the odd one out um and I used to get sort of smacked about and stuff like that and I was I was always a caring kid you know? and all these kids were just sort of beating, beating me around and I, I couldn't quite understand it and I remember saying like I can handle this pain because I've been through a lot of bad things. Like I've seen my mum physically get beaten, you know, blood coming down her face and stuff like that was some of my first ever childhood memories. But I remember these kids slapping me and I was thinking, I can handle this pain, but can you? And I don't know why that was running through my age at such a young age. That's powerful. That's, that's powerful. But, but that's, that, that's just how I was thinking. And I, I, just, yeah. I didn't want to hurt anybody. Maybe because I'd seen so much violence myself. I just didn't want to, you know, I, I knew what it felt like to be in pain. I didn't want to see anybody else in that. 
But uh, long story short, we moved. My my dad actually found us again in Dublin, so we uh, we evacuated. We got out of Dublin and moved to England, which is how I have the accent, the English accent. So I moved over when I was six. But something in me changed as a child when I moved to England. I kind of said, uh, again, so young, surprised that these things were going through my head. But I was kind of like, without maybe fully knowing, but I was like, I'm kind of the man of the house now because I've like gone off the island of Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And now I'm in England, like on my own two feet sort of thing. And my whole behavior changed. So I, I went from, you know, this like, uh, you know, nice, loving kid to this very stressed out and, you know, traumatized kid and basically i made a decision myself at a very young age that i wasn't going to let anybody knock me around again and i completely changed as a person and basically i created this body armor i decided to be incredibly competitive so that nobody could beat me whether that was academically or physically and i basically put this armor up where i was emotionless so anything that dented my emotions or, or dented my armor i'd quickly address it and, and remove it from my life so uh, from from childhood in England, if anybody got on the wrong side of me, I'm not, I'm not saying I was a bully. I certainly wasn't that. But I had a short fuse, and I didn't allow anybody to push me around. And to give you an example of the the armor I created, I decided to become, you know, the best footballer because that's what we used to do in primary school. We used to kick bottles of coke around, you know, wherever we could find a crisp packet on the floor. It didn't even have to be a football, <laughs> yeah. you know. We, anything that could move along the floor we played football we used to do with water bottles in india <laughs> yeah 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 exactly man so uh yeah whatever you could find on the floor we, we did football with and i just made a decision there and then i was going to be the best at everything because being the best meant that um it just kind of meant that i was going to be it was the least likelihood that i was ever going to be bothered or traumatized again yeah, people least... would respect you in some way that kind of thing yeah, that, that's exactly it. And like to give you an example um, of something, say, denting the armor that I created, I was actually quite into singing right, with uh, like churches and stuff. Um, and we used to go around to old people's homes and sing. And I remember standing next to my friend. We used to love it. And then I went into school one day and um, the guy said, the guys in the class said, oh, you like to sing? That's really gay. And I, I didn't even know what a gay person was. Uh, you know, I have no disrespect to gay people whatsoever. Really, it was just like a word that was thrown out there. Like it could have been any other word, to be honest. But regardless, that's the word they used. And that hit the armor. So I quit on the spot. I quit singing. So just to give you an example of how much I changed, you know, anything that dented the armor or anything that followed me, I removed that of my life or anything that somebody criticized me on. I got so good to the point where people, people couldn't insult me for it. And the same thing happened with um, my academic study. Uh, I became obsessed with maths. Um, and I was known as like the, the best kid at maths uh, to the point where they actually moved me up for maths and English up three years. So I was oh. in year three, but uh, I was I was the kid that went through to year six for maths and English. Now, I excelled. I actually excelled at maths and I was doing A-level maths by the time I was in year six. But when it came to English, I, in my opinion, I was just on, on a standard level, but they put me right up there and I was completely out of my depth. So they were giving me like, you know, assignments and so many fundamentals to, to English literature that I just completely missed. And it made me basically shut down. And the same sort of happened with my mathematics as well towards the end, especially with English. I shut down and instead of becoming the academic genius or, you know, the smart kid, I became the class clown. So I completely, completely U-turned because I just froze and I had to find, I had to find an alternative method. And uh, so the whole way through my school, um, I went from basically being the ultra competitive kid. I was still competitive, but I became more like the class clown, the comedy guy. 
um, and my academic study, so to speak, was completely on hold. So I would say even up to the age of 16 when I left school, I mean, I went to college too, but I would say my English at the time in terms of written written English was the same level as a kid in year three because I completely froze. So. Anybody would listen to your story up until now and right now you've gone through this traumatizing childhood and you're going through a very average life till now. No thoughts of business or entrepreneurship or meeting these famous individuals. But what I can notice is these values of determination, these values of hard work are already getting ingrained in you as a result of the issues that you have faced. And so the foundation is being built for you years before you even started those things. You sent me a book, a 30-page book uh, in my email, and I was reading that story. And uh, what I found was uh, your life kind of took a U-turn when you met Andrew and when you started listening to Les Brown, who is a motivational speaker. And so talk to us a bit about that phase, uh, right. how you started uh, with football and then how you met Andrew and uh, you got introduced to Les. Sure. So with the whole ultra-competitive, being really good at football thing on the side of that came sort of the kickups on the estate or the kickups in the in the soccer school and all that stuff so i became obsessed with kickups in general because i wanted to be the best you know stand out and all that stuff and uh when i when i was younger there was a, a soccer camp and uh it was who could do the most kickups gets selected and, and wins a trophy long story short because i was a kid who wasn't from the area in cornwall Truro, everybody knew everyone i never got selected um, the winning kid at the time when I was a kid did like six kickups. So I asked my mum to go get me a football that day. I stayed out till the sun came down and I did 14. So quite a bit more. But that yeah. session kind of spiraled throughout the years. And, and then when I was around 15, 14, I was still known as that guy who could do the kickups. But there was this other guy called uh, Andrew Henderson, who is now the world champion of freestyle football. Uh, Five-time was- world champion, I guess. Yeah, that's it. And um, yeah. he was doing tricks like around the world, which are completely alien to me. But people in the school basically connected the dots and said, hey, Jamie's really good at kickups. Andrew's doing around the world. Like, you guys should meet each other. And that's exactly So how old were you at this point? I believe we were both 14. So we were in the same class in school. Okay. And Andrew was traveling the world even at that age? No. So I started traveling the world around the age of 17 to 18. Fully fully traveling the world around 18, just bits and bobs at the age of 17. But around the age of 14 was when me and Andrew both started together. And... He, he was he was really progressing. He really loved the sport, but we also played table tennis too. We played we played table tennis um, at England school level up until the age of under sixteen. Uh, so we were doing that on the side as well. He loved freestyle a lot more than me. But again, reverting back to what I said about my childhood, the whole freestyle football and football ability was like my armor. So I felt like I had to keep doing it too. So to be honest, Andrew loved it a lot more than me. I just kind of liked it. And because I'd developed this armor, I couldn't let anybody damage the armor. I couldn't be a normal person. I couldn't start something new. So I was already good at something. I actually held on to freestyle a lot longer uh, than I actually wanted to, which is something we can dive into. Yeah, and you're good at it. You're good at it. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing it for 10, 10 plus years, but um, it's, it's yeah. kind of come, comes and goes in waves of how much I, how much I do it. But I, uh, in my late teens and early 20s, I actually held on to it because um, I was slightly worried that if I tried something different, it would be how the mighty have fallen um, because there was a lot of pressure, I at least thought, on my shoulders as being one of the people who have made it. So Yeah, yeah. And uh, how did you come across Les Brown? So again, uh, whenever, whenever you're 
covering yourself up and you're blocking things out or doing things against the grain of what you want to do, ultimately you are going to get depressed or you're going to fall back because it's not true to your identity. You're not being true to yourself. And when I was 18, 19, I was, I was pretty depressed. Like I wasn't medically diagnosed as depressed, but for example, when I was on YouTube, I was like Googling or YouTubing how to get energy because I just didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't, I didn't want to do anything. And uh, I just, yeah, I was just a complete disaster, no, no enthusiasm. And I was still trying. I was looking for answers. I was looking for answers. And I went on YouTube and I found Les Brown and Tony Robbins. So I started watching Les Brown seminars from like the 70s and the 80s and bits from Tony Robbins. And I was watching content that none of my friends had ever seen before, completely alien to them. Mm. And they basically gave me the, um, I guess, the piece of rope to start pulling myself out. I was in such a bad place and through repetition of watching those guys or learning little bits you know introducing daily gratitude and stuff like that I managed to pull myself out of a pretty dark place and I guess I kind of you know I still stuck with it to this day because ultimately don't constantly um learn and work work on areas of your life you are ultimately going to fall backwards you have to keep moving forward and I learned from the age of 18 that I had to stand guard at the door of my mind because uh, my mind can slip backwards quite quickly if I don't keep it in check. And do you have mentors in real life or do you consider Tony to be your mentor, less to be your mentor? Yeah, so I, I, I call them virtual mentors. So whenever yeah. I whenever I turn in my early 20s, I was mm-hmm. very aware that um, my friends, and I mean no disrespect to them because I care, care about them to this day, but I knew yeah. that my friends had a very predictable future. So like my friends yes. were like my friends were like painters and stuff like that. And I could leave the country for five years and i can guarantee my friends would still be painters so like yes. whereas i i kind of had something i within me i really wanted to do more and um because i've been through so much pain in my life one of my driving forces is because i've been through pain i don't want anyone else to be in pain so i really resonated with people like tony and les who've been through pain themselves and yeah. i decided in my early 20s i wanted to change the world in terms of helping people and still do but i didn't have the belief so you hear all the time about mentors saying, you know, you've got to believe, you've got to believe, but it's one yeah. thing to hear it, but to internalize it in your gut. But it, yeah, it has to come from inside your guts. Yeah, yeah. Once don't you really believe it. 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 Yeah, and that, and that's it. And I just I just wasn't quite there with that. But yeah, I started calling them my virtual friends because I wanted to. I knew that you are who you hang around with, right? That's what they say. They say if you run around with nine losers, chances are you'll be the tenth. That's you something. That. That's something Les Brown says. And I knew that my friends had a predictable future. So I decided to create a virtual friend. So what I would do is I would listen to podcasts, maybe two a day, even if I was just cleaning my room. And I kind of pretend I was just flying through, like laughing at their jokes and like nodding at their stuff, you know, pretending they were my actual friends. Like we were all sat around this table. And that's how I started upgrading my mind was creating these virtual friends. And that came in the likes, in the forms of the likes of um, Impact Theory and uh, uh, Lewis Howell's podcast and stuff like that. And I guess you met Lewis or you talked to him later on. Yeah. I think so, you met uh, Lewis, yeah. Yeah, so Lewis, Lewis House is a good friend of mine. Uh, we met around, maybe maybe around 15 months ago now in London. So uh, the story oh, okay. behind that was um, Lewis was in London for an event. He was doing a speaking engagement. And I basically connected uh, Lewis with Andrew Henderson. So Andrew Henderson has a million followers on Instagram now. And Lewis yeah. had, had a million at the time. So I was like, hey, guys, you should connect. I think you guys have bounced off each other and create great content. Uh, you know, yeah. you guys should work together. And Lewis got back to me and said, yep, yeah, that sounds great. And as if by maybe fate, I don't know, I, 
I'm, I'm not a big believer of that, but like as if by chance, a freestyle job came up for me in London. So I bought the overnight sleeper train and I was Andrew's photographer, just helping him out and helping Lewis out. So that's how we actually got connected, just kind of by chance, but it was me who engineered putting them together. And that's kind of the whole thing that I am about. It's kind of how could I be of service to these two guys and lift them yeah. up? And, and and that's how that came about. Yeah. And so and so how did you message uh, uh, Louis? Because I, I believe he must receive a lot of DMs, a lot of emails. So it's difficult to make him open an email and commit to something. Yeah. So the way I messaged Louis was I didn't make it about me at all. And this is a good tip for anybody who's watching or listening. Yes. Nobody, nobody wants to, nobody wants to hang around with the random twenty-five-year-old kid who wants to kick a ball or the complete unknown. But they have time yeah. if somebody is being of service to that person. So I knew that if I made it about him and him only, or him and somebody else, something that can benefit him, there's a good chance yeah. that he'll listen to me. Whereas if I say the letter I or I make it about me, there's a good chance he gets that all the time and he's not going to listen. So my approach with Lewis at the time, although I consider him a friend now, was to be of service to him without expectation. So I was of service to him without expectation, trying to add value to his experience in London. And he got back to me because of that. So if you are going to reach out to somebody who you consider a mentor, you have to be of service to that person without expectation. Because if you kind of go in with the fanboy approach, they'll acknowledge you and they'll appreciate you, but they might not respect you in, in terms of, uh, meeting up with you and spending spending the day with you. Yeah, yeah. Gary, he talks a lot about this. I think he, he terms this as a win-win situation or a no-lose situation where you email or DM a high net worth individual and you just go with a heart of service to them and you want to genuinely help them uh, with something in their lives. Maybe it's running their social media account or maybe it's writing their newsletter or doing something extremely small and just helping them them in some way and uh, not expecting much in return. And I think that is a good way to build connections with these extremely busy individuals and uh, who get hundreds of emails every single day. 100%. And, and I'm, test I'm testament to that. I'm living proof. I've, I've done that before a few times. Just always be of service to people without expectation. And word of mouth spreads. You know, If you're constantly of service to this person without expectation and you're doing a good job, well, the, the motivational guys in particular, they have inner circle moments where they all, they all gather around like circle tables and discuss how they can take each other to the next level. If you're over delivering without expectation, there's a good chance they're going to say, hey, uh, Lewis, how did you get so successful over on TikTok? And Lewis might say to these guys confidentially, oh, well, actually, Jamie did everything. And everyone's like, oh, who's this Jamie guy? Put me in touch. And, you know, that's when you start getting work from other people that are on, you know, the, the, the higher level that you want to be at. Yeah, I think as far as I remember, that is how Dean got in touch with you. I think uh, somebody told him to about you to Dean and then he got in touch with you and now you handle his social media. Yeah, so the story with Dean was I saw Dean had a TikTok. He had around 140 followers, but um, he wasn't presenting or his marketing team or his team. They they were doing a great job in terms of the content, but the, the framing was 16 by 9, which is a you know a big no on TikTok. Um, and there's just a few things going on with the way it was presented. Uh, and again, I just wanted to be of genuine service to Lewis and his friend. And I, just, I just said, hey, look, you know, th this account could improve. If they require any assistance with anything, please do not hesitate to ask. And that was it. I didn't, want, it. A job. I didn't want a job. I was just trying to help them. I was just going to consult them. And, and, that, and that was the end of it. But a week later, they actually ended up hiring me. And um, I became a social media manager for Dean.
I want to go back to your high school days. So once you completed your high school, did you go to college or uh, you were busy with this side hustles of yours and they took up your entire time? Yeah, so I went to college and I did um, sports coaching and fitness. And I did that for around, uh, well, it was meant to be. It was meant to be for two years. And uh, <laughs> I, dropped, I dropped the whole core module because I was offered the opportunity to um, do uh, football skills with now the football manager uh, for Manchester United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So I actually okay. dropped the whole core module in uh, sports massage and uh, went up to, I think it was Yeovil, and um, taught Ole Gunnar Solskjaer some skills. Um, no, which obviously I, I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, I did it. And you um, took a chance, yeah. Yeah, I, t- I took a chance, and um, ultimately I'm not in the sports coaching space right now, so I guess it was a good decision. I don't recommend it for everybody to do things <laughs> like that. But at the time, but it I was, worked out for you in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was a pretty naive kid to be fair, so I was I think I was 17 at the time, but it did that particular thing did work out because ultimately you can you can and again i didn't know this at the time ultimately you can leverage anything you ever achieve to, to achieve something else especially in my early 20s i became the ultimate the ultimate yes man so tony robbins calls it you turn your shoulds into your musts and i was becoming a, a bit of a yes man and whenever i had i had a deadline with a client i turned my should into my must so it's like oh i should go do the freestyle job in london oh hang on no i've confirmed this thing with four clients in London for the next week, I must deliver on this. And I just said yes to loads of things, stuff that I wasn't even qualified to do. Like I had no, I had no qualifications in events management or sending freestylers to other places in the country or internationally. But I said yes anyway, and I turned my shit into my must. I didn't want to let anybody down. And uh, yeah, I t- totally agree with what you just said. Got yeah. yeah, and let's let's go back and talk to uh, uh, talk about your website, ukfreestyler.com. When did you build it? How old were you? And did you have any experience? The building websites yeah so I, I was always a fan of websites when i was like in my early teens so i made like a fun yahoo website and i didn't know how to publish it i actually didn't know anything about it but i enjoyed the process of uh, like i love problem solving and creating things so i had a, I had a yahoo free football website which nobody saw in the world um so I, I started off with that but then it gave me enough uh, i guess tools under my belt to um make a proper website and again it was just kind of a basic pre-made template i made this website called ukfreestyler.com and it was a free domain but i uh, free you know hosting and everything but i paid uh 8.99 i think it was for the url so my first website was like eight pounds 99 and what i would do is i'd go around to schools for free and i would say to schools hey uh, i do the single free stuff before uh, do you mind if i do a show for your kids and record record the footage and i never got any kickbacks so, you know i just went around school to school stuff all the stuff on a website and then uh, i went in cold my first ever paid job i went in cold to a nightclub to do a show at an under 18s disco night and um they said oh we'll keep your details we'll think about you and um luckily so luckily for me a rapper from london who was meant to do a show cancelled and they actually called me up and they said oh jamie we have this show for you we'll give you 50 pounds uh, 50 pounds might as well have been five thousand pounds for me honestly <laughs> and um i took it and i did the show and, and that was the first sort of real belief that i knew i could make money from this job but again obviously you can't live on 50 pounds but like at the time i knew i could generate something so i knew i could generate more or get more experience and do bigger jobs okay and so you were going to these schools and you were going to these events so what I want to ask is, is there a baiting marketplace? Like, was there a marketplace before you were going to the schools that other freestyle footballers would come or other sports people would come and sort of tease their skills to children? 
or did you have to educate those teachers that this is something that I'm maybe doing for the first time and uh, I want to teach your kids those skills. So were you trying to educate the market or was the market pre-built before you entered? There, there was, the, to some degree, there was a market. So there was maybe like three or four people doing the circuit where they were doing really well and they had a job out of free stuff before. But to be honest, I didn't know anything about business. So I was just like literally zero, trust me. Uh, I was the ultimate uh, trial and error machine. So, you know, I could have I could have potentially had a mentorship, but I didn't I didn't know the people at the time. The freestylers at the time certainly wouldn't have wanted to help me because, you know, it's a bit of a rat race. You know, who can get the job first and the more people, you know, is yeah. bad, I guess. But um, I was the ultimate trial and error machine. Um, I heard there was agencies in London. But I didn't even know how to send an invoice. Like, honestly, the ultimate trial and error machine. Uh, even down to my workshops. So whenever I pitched the school, I did workshops. I actually made the workshop up, and then over time, I I created you know a solid structure and plan while doing sports and fitness related modules to actually accommodate that plan. Um, but the market the market at that time wasn't big. Certainly not the school workshops and things like that. But on the corporate scene and TV scene, there was maybe two or three that were pulling all the strings, and and all the agencies knew. I didn't even know what an agency was. I don't think when I was like seventeen, I was just was completely alien to everything. Yeah, yeah. And so you said that you were improving your workshops on the go, like you started doing workshops and then you started building the quality of those workshops, maybe what are the skills that you're going to teach, the payment structure. So you built it on the go. And I think a lot of time what happens is that as an entrepreneur, as a young entrepreneur, when you are trying to build a business, you focus a lot on the technicalities of the business. Maybe you want to start a podcast and you're worried about what cameras to use. How do I edit this? Oh, I don't know anything about sound. And then you get wrapped up in that and that demotivates you. So would you say it is a good advice for young entrepreneurs, suppose they want to start a podcast or a website, to just build a minimum viable product, record your first episode or build a single page website, start with that, and then you can just sort of improve it ladder, step by step like a ladder on the go. Yeah, so to paraphrase Lewis Howes, um, Lewis Howes basically says that um, if you're going to do a podcast, you've, you've got to give it at least two years. A lot of people do podcasts and they give it six months because they say, hey, nobody's watching this. You know, there's so much noise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Excuses creep up, but you have to give it time. So if you're going to do a podcast, you have to give it time. You have to be patient. Lewis says give it two years. And it's also what kind of edge can you bring to a podcast? What questions can you ask? What can you extract from somebody else that another podcast isn't doing? And then that way you're making your podcast stand out and be a bit more unique. So you've got to be very, very patient. A lot of people nowadays, again, because they see all the mentors and the motivational speakers, they think that they can achieve the success overnight. But it doesn't work like that at all. It takes a lot of yeah. time. The key is patience. Patience. You've got to have patience. Yeah, I think when you're watching people like Bill Gates or Tony Robbins, you're watching Tony Robbins 2020. You're not watching Tony Robbins 1994 when few people knew him. When you're not watching Tony Robbins 1984, then nobody knew it. And so a lot of times you see these YouTube videos and you say, oh, Tony's video quality is so good. His sound quality is so good. His speech delivery, delivery is so good. And I cannot do that. And if people had a look at how bad Tony was in his first seminar or maybe his first video or how bad the audio quality was when Tony was selling those tapes, Dean was selling those audio tapes in the beginning of their careers, I think it would motivate people a lot more because then they know that you can start that low and then the high is somewhere like billions of dollars and more importantly, impacting millions of lives. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly hard to, to 
being able to have that level of reflection and, and you know and, and see another person's journey especially with all the noise and you just see where they are today but certainly everybody started off you know quaking because they didn't want to speak in front of five people never mind do a successful podcast lewis howard himself uh he went to toastmasters actually and um he did a speech every week for 52 weeks. So he did a speech every single week for a year. So to, to, to do something for a month and even train for a month and think that you'd be even close to his level, this guy like did a speech every single week for a year, as well as the 10,000 hours he's had now and the 10 years extra that he put into it. So these people do put in the work. They just make it look very easy. It's kind of like, it's kind of like watching me with a football and um, going out and practicing for a month and saying, hey, I did freestyle for a month. I can't do one of Jamie's tricks. Like, yeah. it, does, it doesn't work like that. You've got to give it. You've got to give it years. So yeah, um, yeah. There's definitely a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes with these guys for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you made your first video on Vimeo, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And right now you have about four hundred thousand followers on TikTok, about thirty thousand followers on Instagram. So which was the platform where you grew first? Was it Instagram or was it TikTok? So my first, yeah, the first platform I grew on. Uh, was actually Facebook. So, um, Facebook. Oh. yeah, so I've only got, I've got about 7,000 followers at the time, but compared to, I had 7,000 followers at the time, but compared to all my other platforms, I actually had like nothing. I had like 400 on YouTube, subscribers on YouTube. I don't even think I had Instagram at the time. But my first initial uh, boost when I became a, a micro influencer, uh, I picked up, say, 20,000 on my Instagram pretty quickly. And actually, I, I executed. And my strategy of giving without expectation to um, big pages of two to three million. So I would actually make an approach to these companies and pages. And I would say, hey, this is a world's first trick. This may go down really well with your community. If you, if you want to use it, please do not hesitate to ask. And people naturally give credit to the, to the person who did something. Yeah. So again, I presented something without expectation, but it, it kind of came back my way and they featured me. And then the other, the clever thing I did at that point was I would leverage the top guys off each other. So say you had a big football page called 433, they would share me. I would say, I'll go over to the next big page called RL Designs. And I'd say, hey, RL Designs, 433, if you label the competitor, you, you know, breaks yeah. them up. So yeah. I'd say, yeah, so say I was speaking to RL Designs, I'd say, hey, 433 just shared my worlds first. I actually didn't give them this one. Your community Ooh. might really love <laughs> this one. If you want to use it, please do not hesitate to ask. Yeah. I spent a while, I spent a little period knocking these guys off each other, and before I knew it, I had twenty five thousand followers in about three months. Nice. Have you read uh, "Trust Me, I'm Lying" by Ryan Holiday? No, but I've got I've got uh, two of his other books. I've got "The Daily Stoic" and uh, "The Obstacle Is the Way." The obstacle uh, is the way. Yeah. You should read "Trust Me, I'm Lying" because in in that book he talks about exactly these steps that you're talking about, leveraging the big players off of each other and uh, just hustling your yeah yeah that, well that was complete I, I was not taught that that was just complete chance but yeah that sounds yeah it works i know it works so <laughs> yeah yeah and so when you joined tiktok when did you join tiktok by the way so i joined tiktok when it was called musically so uh, oh. before tiktok became tiktok it was musically and then yeah. musically and another app combined to make uh tiktok i think uh, it was vibe uh, dance maybe that's it that's it and um yeah i, I started off with musically i got a tip off from uh Andrew Henderson, he's the one who got me into it. He said, uh, hey, Jamie, this thing called Musical.ly is going to be the next big thing. And I went on it and I was like, all right, well, what's this? But I'm going to trust him here. I'm going to trust him here and I'm going to do some posts. 
and it wasn't it didn't quite work for android at the time it was mainly for iphones like it was glitchy for the android but i tried anyway and uh, picked up around 5900 followers over time um it became more android friendly and long story short i was just consistent when people were doubting the app and when people were unsure i was just constantly posting and posting and posting i wasn't listening wasn't listening i just kept going 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 because i knew that every day that they were doubting it was another opportunity for me to go one step ahead i was seeing the followers i was seeing the comments i was seeing the engagement so i just pushed every day i had no days off even whenever it transitioned to tiktok yeah and tiktok is weird in a way because if you have a hundred thousand followers on instagram and if you post for 10 days most of those posts will receive an average amount of like if they receive 2000 likes they will receive 2300 1800 not a lot of variation but on tiktok if you post 10 videos 10 10 uh 10 videos in 10 days one of them will receive 1000 views the other one will receive 40k views it's sort of random but when it when it blows up it really really blows up yeah that's it yeah you you're only one one post away from a million views that's for sure yeah yeah and so Right now, you have been on TikTok for a number of years. You have these number of followers. You have honed your craft of content creation using the algorithm to your advantage. And right now, you're consulting some of the most famous influencers. So talk to us about the strategies that people can use. Suppose I'm, I'm somebody sitting in Ghana or India sure. or America or sure. Manchester right now. I want to grow a TikTok page from zero to, say, 10,000 followers. Sure. What are the step-by-step strategies that I should use that I can learn from you? Okay, sure. So TikTok um, pre- prefers full-screen portrait. So that's basically holding your phone upright. So what TikTok does is it recognizes pigments within the shot. So if there's any like black dots or lack of color, it downgrades within the algorithm. So it likes you to use the full framing and full-screen portrait. Another thing to consider is audience retention. So whenever you post something, is my audience going to watch from the start until the end? Because again, the algorithm detects if somebody watches something right from the beginning to the end, the algorithm will say, hey, this is valuable because this person's watched it and therefore it will push it out to more people. Another thing to consider is, will the user push the share button? Because obviously more shares equals reaching more people. And again, the algorithm will say, hey, somebody shared this or hundreds of people sharing this, we're going to push this out to more people. If I was starting today, I would consider those things but I'd also create an avatar in my head. What does my end user look like? And can I create content that will basically resonate with that particular end user? And a lot of people think that TikTok is for kids because they see their daughters dancing and going crazy. But trust me, your end user, if they're 40, 50, 60, you know, whatever shape, size, anything, I can assure you they're on there. So you should be on there. And um don't listen to you know the polarized opinion or polarized view because a lot of people aren't in the frame of TikTok yet, so they can't really judge it until they've had like hundreds of posts of experience to see what's actually on the app. Yeah, so yeah, I think as a, yeah, yeah, I think as a platform, it is really maturing, and I've seen that in my account. Like you talked about people who think it's for dancing and singing videos, and I used to be one of those individuals, and I was building a page on Instagram, and then uh, I was building a page on TikTok simultaneously. And uh, I never thought that TikTok would blow up with the type of content I post because it's hardcore business lessons and uh, kids don't watch that. But uh, I've seen that a lot of people in their 30s, 40s and 50s have joined the platform and they are looking for the kind of content they would look for on Facebook, on LinkedIn. So not a lot of singing and dancing, but things that are relevant to their business, maybe relevant to their career, relationships. And so those kind of pages 
pages in those niches they are very rare right now not a lot of people are doing that and so i think there is a gap in the market for those kinds of pages if you can find a niche that does not have a lot of page and then you can build something valuable for that audience i think there is a good uh, good place for tiktok right now 100% and and again we're reverting back to what we said about the the the, the podcast you just got to be patient as well you know you got to even if you're not seeing results straight away every single post is is like money in the bank you're just compounding 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 that interest you know a video that's 6 months old can be seen by somebody who signs up today so you need to keep being consistent with your uploads and you will see results eventually and you'll also see videos that are just slow burners that they pick up a thousand views a week in the background for a whole year so um yeah you got to be patient with tiktok too yeah yeah because uh so i went from 0 to 1000 followers i guess it took about 2 months for th- for the first 1000 followers and then it went from 1000 to 7000 in a single month because a couple of videos received 100 to 200k views so it's just a matter of one two three videos that blow up and those one two three videos will bring in three four six whatever number of thousand followers yeah and it's certainly a lot easier to go from 100000 followers 200000 followers than it is to go from yeah. zero to one because you know yeah. you've got the you've got the instant validator so the more the more followers you have the more validated you are and the more chance you're going to have more followers so um especially in a in a world now with tiktok where there's not many people on like if you if you're actually doing your niche right now whatever it is if it's business marketing whatever you know you're really giving yourself a head start um you know in in the journey if you get on it now because the you know the competition is vast the 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 app's still growing and it hasn't like plateaued like any of the other apps yet so um yeah definitely if you're going to start start now um and post regularly yeah and uh, the other thing i want to talk about is uh, uh so i am an avid reader i read about 70 80 books a year and uh, uh in the past few months i have been hooked into a lot of podcasts and uh, you are an avid reader and you listen to a lot of podcasts but uh, what i found is that so i read i think i've read all the books of malcolm gladwell and uh, every book of chris kilbu and tim ferris and when i was reading 70 80 books a year i wasn't really implementing those lessons because i was reading them as a form of entertainment and then i wasn't going back to those lessons that were taught in those books and so this year i made the shift that i read only 10 20 30 books right but whichever books i read i just try to implement some of those frameworks in my life and uh, till now i have seen positive changes uh, they have been good and so what do you think about reading versus implementing or listening versus implementing because you can binge listen to podcasts just like netflix and you can waste your time so how important is taking action yeah so i think people fall into the trap of thinking they're moving the needle in their life because they bought this new book but buying the new book and feeling good because it's come in the post and maybe not reading it and sticking it on the shelf you know you're not you're not reading or applying anything um as a general rule if you're going to read anything i would just go in with the outcome of what's one thing i can take away or how can what i have taken today make me better than i was this day or the day before do so you want to try and make yourself better than yesterday or today Um I think it's easy to overwhelm yourself and write down 10 or 15 notes but I think if you can just try and implement one thing I mean I, my my field that I like to read the most is mindset so I set the bar really low because I want to be consistent every day I want to actually be able to implement these things in my life you know even yeah. with the mind if you can learn 10 things but it's kind of like going to the gym and doing 10 sets of weights when you've never been to the gym before your mind's a muscle too as well as your body yeah so yeah. I always set the bar really low I always say okay I've learned this one thing 
I'm going to add it. And even if it's something as simple as, you know, maybe a, maybe a book says, um, come up 10 affirmations for yourself. I'll be like, okay, I'm just going to have one affirmation. I'm going to remember it off my heart every morning. Then I'm going to have two. Then I'm going to go to the standard three to five. And I'm just going to remember those. And I can remember, you know, my, my daily gratitude and my affirmations off by heart. And I think I will have seven affirmations and three daily gratitudes. But if I set the bar at that, there's no way I'm going to be like, uh, remember it's seven is it? not a chance yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Much. try and be better than you of yesterday is it just yeah. things i think the rule of thumb is to start small and take it step by step 100 percent. and then also again with being overwhelmed it's good to set the bar low because you'll start implementing and then you'll start to want to implement these things so yes. when you start seeing the results of the little things you'll start to want to implement more and more things in your life whereas if you try yeah. and implement this one big change you're going to be overwhelmed pretty quickly and you're going to fade out and give up yeah yeah and uh, we were talking about the book tools of titans the other day and you said tom did you sent you that book and yes. uh, so talk to us about uh, so you have met all these uh, very successful businessmen and very successful motivational speakers and obviously their lives are different than us uh, how they structure their life, how they structure their daily routine. And so talk to us about some of the things that you have noticed in them, some of the systems that they have built or some of the systems of values that you use in your daily life to improve your productivity, to do what you want to do. Yep. So a simple one that all the successful people do is they always uh, wake up and they find something to be grateful for. A lot of the time they think of three things to be grateful for. So I always have three things I'm grateful for in the morning because I've you know learned from these guys and it's I'm grateful for love in my life from from family I'm grateful for friends and I'm grateful for my ability to adapt and change. So I know that if I'm patient and disciplined, I could become a runner. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm going to be an Olymp Olympic runner, but I could become a runner if I'm disciplined and patient. I could go into marketing. I can do all these things. So I'm just grateful for my my ability to adapt and change. That's one of the things that I that I always do in the morning. And I've learned from those guys. Another thing is daily affirmations. So I'll always say, life happens for me, not to me. Difficult roads lead to beautiful destinations. I am powerful beyond belief. I am unstoppable. I am loving and I allow others to love me. I do hard things. I have greatness within me. So that's another thing all the successful people do. They, they, try to, they just try to find themselves something to be grateful for. Another thing the most successful people do is they don't look at their phone as soon as they wake up. And they say it's because it's like playing Russian roulette. You put a bullet in a gun, you spin it. Is it going to be a bad email? Your business lost loads of money. You know, is a <laughs> yeah. news article going to pop up in your notification? So it's really important to not look at your phone as soon as you wake up. You have to focus on winning your morning. And Dean Graziosi says, so you can play offense. You don't want anything that can dent your confidence by 5% because you never get anything done at 95%. You get something done at 100%. So you want to, you know, stay away from anything negative first thing in the morning and focus on gratitude. That's a very common pattern. Another common pattern with the successful people is instead of setting goals, they set visions for themselves. So a goal is, I want to run a, a 5K in under 20 minutes. A vision is saying, it's a year from now. How do I want to feel a year from now? What does my relationship look like? How does my career look like? What does my home look like? How do I feel? That's a better vision because a lot of the time people set goals and they climb this mountain, but because they haven't got another goal to set straight away, you actually find yourself sliding down the other side. And I've been a victim of that myself. So you have yeah. to set a compelling vision that's so far in the future. And then you then you put in the incremental goals and building blocks to support the vision instead of instead of micro goals on the way up. So goals is looking forward and a vision is looking forward and then 
taking it backwards. Wow, I like that. I hadn't thought about that. And I listened to this uh, talk about Dean talking about not looking at your phone. I think a couple of days back, you might have posted that. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a good thought. <laughs> that's a good thought. Yeah. And uh, this, the second part of the question is, uh, uh, I wanted to ask you about how these successful people are imperfect in their lives. Something that you have seen, I don't mean it, I don't mean in a negative way, but something that makes them relatable to us. Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody has a story. I mean, a lot of these successful people, they've all had adversities in their lives. So to, again, revert back to talking about Lewis again, but Lewis was living on his sister's couch and he, he broke his wrist um, playing, you know, American football. And yeah, his dad died and then... Yeah, yeah, his dad's still alive, but he was in a car accident. Oh, sorry, sorry, he met a car accident. Yeah, and um, I think it was a car accident, but he, uh, he, had, he has, um, you know, traumatizing fatal injuries, so he'll never be the same again. Um, but yeah, so Lewis is going through some difficult things and sometimes it takes, even in our own lives, sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom because the only way is up. And a lot of these guys did actually hit rock bottom before they found the success. It wasn't given to them on a single spoon. And they, I know people do get it given to them that way, but these guys, you know, they've all, they've all faced adversity and they just found ways to upgrade their relationships or learn from somebody slightly more successful than them. Yeah. Yeah. And in your story too, I, I read that, uh, there was a point in your life when you were very depressed and you were thinking about suicide and then uh, you got addicted to gambling. And so how did you dig yourself out of that hole? Because that's a dark place to be in. And a lot of people, they either stay in that phase for the rest of their lives, they come out and then go back in phases or they lead a very average life. How, how are you able to pull yourself out of that hole and get into a place where you are right now? So whenever, you, whenever you're depressed, especially on that level, it kind of doesn't matter what anybody says to you. Um, you're either not going to act on it or you don't have the energy because you kind of, you just feel so sorry for yourself. But it's not that you feel sorry for yourself. It's a helplessness. And you may even feel so helpless that you don't want to ask for help because you feel like maybe you're the man of the house or you're the person that people talk to and they need help. So there's no way you can be like this. And that, that's, yeah. what happened, that's what happened to me. And how I pulled myself out, and I've been there a few times, how I pull myself out is I set the ultimate, ultimate micro goals against my routine of depression. So what I would do is, so I, in fact, I was so depressed, I used to enjoy sleeping more than just like being alive, to give you an example. So I'd sleep for like 12 to 14 hours a day because being asleep was more joyous than actually being alive. But what I would do is I would set the ultimate small goal. So I'd be like, okay, Jamie, you, you feel horrible. What's one little thing you can do? to move the needle in your life to get you out of this depression and it'd be super super small i'm going to wake up and i'm going to do one push-up i'm going to do one oh. push -up. so when you're depressed you you cannot snap out of it it will take you a week or two weeks to start seeing any results but i'm just going to do one push-up or i listened to one time something les brown said write down three things you're grateful for i did that too so i'll do one push-up three things i'm grateful for i did that every single day for five days and i didn't feel anything but on day six I just started feeling a little bit better. I was thinking about the things I'm grateful for and I just started feeling a little bit better. Then I added one other little thing and one other little thing. Then I looked at all the things that don't serve me or what I was doing during the times I was depressed and I started to slowly eliminate them, whether it was eating a certain thing or drinking a certain thing. And that's how I pulled myself out. Another thing in terms of, in terms of the gambling, that was a real, real tough one. Uh, yeah. I read, uh, this is definitely uh, something I've never told certainly Lewis before, but I read Lewis Howes' book called The School of Greatness uh, before I knew him. And he had a thing called a certificate of achievement. So what you would do yeah. is 
you would print this you'd print the certificate out and you would award it to yourself uh, with a date in the future with something that you've accomplished so i basically gave myself a certificate of achievement 90 days gamble free and i wrote it to myself jamie mcdonald 90 days gamble free and then date 90 days from now and <laughs> I, I put it on the side and it was awarded to me and i used that and and that was that was enough for me to go the full 90 days and then continue from that um i, I did have like relapses in between and i'm clean now from all that but just it's hard man it's it's, it's a hard one to there's no sort of concrete way because everybody's slightly different i would say yeah. u- universally i would say um don't be afraid to ask for help and a lot of it, it's easy for people to say they're going to be there for you they might actually not be there for you and that, that's the harsh reality you have to actually get yourself mm-hmm. out of this situation because because ultimately when you're depressed you're a, you're an energy drainer at that time like you're you're potentially going to drain and rub off badly on someone else yes. and that's just, that, honestly that's just the harsh reality so you have to try and take some form of ownership and a lot of people have to find rock bottom before they find their way out um, i would personally recommend trying to get hold of a counselor or just paying for a counselor if you really want to change because it's a neutral perspective not in the frame and it takes away the pressure or potential burden that you may feel of talking to somebody else it certainly helped me i had 10 i had 10 um counseling lessons as well uh, to, to pull me out whereas i don't think it would have worked if i talked to just my friends to be honest with you yeah yeah and and the other thing about setting uh, small goals is that even if your entire day goes by like a normal average day you have achieved one thing in that single day even if it's one push up running for 100 meters you have achieved something in your life so in your mind you are in that framework where you are achieving something or hitting some targets that's that's a good strategy yeah yeah and the point the point is that you want to do something enough to the point where you actually want to start doing it so i would set the bar really low at 1 on the off chance maybe i'd actually do 10 So you know maybe maybe the thought of doing 10 or 20 or 30 was overwhelming but if I set the bar at 1 at least I know I'm going to get on the floor and do 1 and I'm like come on you can do 2 you know yeah. that, that's the reason why the, the the bar was always so so low because it was it was, it was a plan for momentum yeah yeah and uh, so there came a point in your life where you were depressed you were gambling and there came a point in your life where you when you said that you were going to face all your fears and then you went on a world tour and you wrote in your book that it changed your perspective in life and it changed your world view talk to us about that yeah so i, I made a decision to just basically uh, face all of my demons searching for true inner peace um so when during it during a phase there's quite a few things going on in my life but um my dad actually found me you know the source of probably a lot of ptsd and things like that the source of all of this pain probably from my dad or it would have been from my dad um and he actually found me through my free stuff of a website he actually called me up i thought i had a football job and he's like oh it's your dad i found you so um within 24 hours i basically flew out to belfast to meet him and confront him and i felt like a, a slight weight off my shoulders but to be honest i still felt a lot of burden but i made a conscious effort basically to try and try and just face face any demon because i knew that whenever i whenever i faced something in a show i always felt like uh, euphoria Uh, at the end of it so like i did a show for uh, on itv uh, saturday night tv on the britain's got talent stage and everything and i was so scared and i and i didn't want to face it i wanted to quit i didn't want to do it but when i faced it i felt like i could take on the world so i kind of took that approach with other areas of my life i was also afraid of flying and a client said hey we need you out in australia and um i was like oh man 
if you're going to pay Sophia, it might as well be the one to Australia, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I so I flew to uh, Australia, and I had a crippling fear of flights. I'll tell you, when those when the wheels left the ground, I was like, well, you're going to Australia now. And <laughs> after that, I travelled to Australia three times, USA three times, uh, met some amazing people, uh, travelled basically all of Europe. And uh, that facing that one fear just opened up everything. It even upgraded my relationship. It gave me the opportunity to, you know, nice. to see people out in LA who were successful. So, um, yeah, face, facing fears, I made a very conscious effort to do that because through my freestyle experience of being afraid of performing in front of people, I knew on the other side was like a building block to another challenge that you could face and another building block, you know, for mental space. Um, and yeah, just basically facing facing anything that's in front of me. Yeah. And so you've gone to America, you've gone to uh, Europe. Were you just traveling or those were football-related gigs, consulting gigs? Yeah, so they, they were football-related gigs. So um, the I, tra- I traveled the whole world. But for example, whenever I went to Australia to work in Australia, um, I took the longest route at times. So like I flew straight to Australia the first time, but the second and the third time, I kind of dotted my way along to Australia. So I visited Thailand and uh, Singapore and Bali, all these places for fun. But ultimately, my end destination was work-related. I just kind of worked around it, and uh, clients didn't care where, what way I went as long as I got there on the right yeah. day. That's all they cared. <laughs> but, yeah, well, most of Europe and LA and all these places were, were work-related. So maybe for the game FIFA, or like I was a product advisor for a company out of Australia, which was a football game. So yeah, a lot of it was work-related. Yeah, yeah. And how much were you making with these football gigs at that time? At that time? um so every every gig was kind of different so whenever i was like 18 19 this is quite funny so whenever i was like 18 or 19 when i was living in truro i used to get a job and it was only about 200 pounds at the time and to save money what i would do is because the trains were like 120 pounds something crazy mm. what i do is i catch a national express bus for 30 pounds at 9 p.m i would roll into london victoria at half six in the morning I would coach kids from half eight to half three, and then I'd catch Ooh. another nine and a half to 11 and a half hour coach back. And I'd come back with about 90 pounds by the time I got my food as well. So I used to do that for years. And then you've got your kind of corporates, which might, might be like a thousand pounds, and your adverts that might be like sort of like your 5,000 pound range, but they're quite rare because it's kind of like this rat race sort of thing. But I, I used to get other things on the side, so like the influencer campaigns, which varied in rates. So I can't give you an exact figure, but um, it, yeah. range, it ranges based on the event. And, and the bottom tier is your grassroots kind of community stuff. And then your top tier is obviously your advertisements on TV or, or computer games. Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, so I wanted to ask you about your daily routine, but that's kind of very vague. So I would rather ask you what you're going to do tomorrow from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed so that our audience can have maybe a look at your life or maybe get an idea about how you structure your life. Okay. So um, in, ter- in terms of what I would do tomorrow that's different to today? or uh, uh, th- That could be it. Or maybe uh, in general, how you structure your life, like how you manage your clients. You have your own account where you create content for yourself. And then you're also learning new things. You have your website for your football gigs. So just to give us a general idea about how you manage those things sure. in an entire day. Sure. So my, my exact day tomorrow will be the same as all of my other ones, which will be I'll wake up with three things I'm grateful for, which will be the three things I said previously. Then I'll have my daily affirmations, 
Um, my phone will be on flight mode from the night before because I don't want anybody, um, you know, when you, you've got to look at the time when you wake up, right? So, so yeah. I'll be on flight mode. You know, I'll, I'll check the time. I actually don't set alarms because uh, I kind of work on my own schedule. Um, but I'd, I'd have my three daily things I wrote before, my affirmations. Then I would make my bed. And I would, after that, I would listen to something positive. And then after that, I'd probably go get a coffee and, and do my work for, you know, Lewis, Dean, and Matt Hussey, whoever it may be, get those social posts uh, all ready to go. And I'd kind of have freedom to do whatever I want that day. But I'd, I, I constantly love watching podcasts. I love learning. Right now, I'm into a lot of Jordan Peterson stuff. I think he's great. Um, oh. But yeah, I mean, it's, you would think maybe the posts are Jamie's done in like 30 minutes, but these posts can take like five hours. So it's not like, you know, I just make a couple of posts and I've got nothing to do. Every day I'm working, say, you know, at yeah. least six hours a day, seven days a week. I actually worked uh, seven days a week since October 5th, with the exception oh. of um, Blackout Tuesday, where obviously everybody didn't post on social media uh, mm-hmm. because of the George Floyd event. So yeah. other than that, I'm, I am pretty nonstop. Wow. I mean, it's been, what, nine months now, nonstop? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and counting because it's still nice. I have I can't see a finish line yet. I mean I've got I've got more people who want to work with me, so maybe I'll expand and create a successful team. But uh, right now, uh, yeah, I have my kind of my structure and I'm trying to push my socials as well, constantly trying to upgrade my relationships. So it's a process when it's a and it's going up. So uh, that's all that matters, I guess. Yeah, and uh, and it's easy to listen to you and think that you have or you you have it all figured out. And so I want to talk to you about the biggest challenge you're facing right now. Okay. I would say the biggest the biggest challenge I'm facing right now is to be honest with you, I'm in very high demand with um being people's social media manager. So my biggest struggle right now is again, because I look at virtual friends, I don't surround myself with people in the transitions I've made anyway. I don't surround myself with people who who are interested in your Lewis Howes, your Tony Robbins. You know, that that they don't resonate with that stuff. So it's very hard for me at the moment to build a successful team that want to actively learn and absorb this information with gratitude instead of judging these people, um, which a lot of people do in advance. So right now, my biggest challenge is how do I clone myself? (laughs) I need to to clone myself and I can can really make a big agency. But I think ultimately my passion is actually to um, dive into the podcast and just try and help people uh, as well as as well as building this agency with all the successful motivators. Yeah, yeah. And uh, on top of that, I would like to ask, what is the uh, what is the biggest ba- breakthrough you have had in the past ninety days? Something that was really problematic, and then you solved it. And uh, it could be a small thing. It could be a small pivot that you made. Yeah. So around eighty days ago, I did a thing called the Calendar Club, uh, which was made by Jesse Itzler. So it's you, you run one mile per day every day for uh, 30 days, plus one mile per day. So on day one, you run one mile. On day two, you run two. On day three, you run three. All the way up to 30, you're basically doing back-to-back uh, marathons to finish. Uh, and what I, learned, what I learned from that was basically that I always talk about momentum, but that was a, that was a true test of momentum paying off. So yes. if I did the calendar club and I started on day 20 to 30, I can guarantee you I'd have broke like three days in. But because I set the bar so small when I was actually a practitioner, you know, you hear it all the time about how to take these small steps to improve, to improve, to improve. But unless you're actually a practitioner of that advice, unless you're actually doing it, you'll never understand it. And doing that challenge made me the ultimate practitioner of patience and discipline. So um, I would say because of that challenge, um, 
I felt more internally um, that that these habits resonate with me instead of them just being voices in my head. Yes, yes. It's about building the foundation, building your character. Exactly. And setting the setting the bar like that, I'm not saying it was easy. It's probably the hardest thing I ever did in my life, by the way. Mm. But setting the bar small initially got me going. If you told me it was 20, going up to 30, I would have broken on day two. So allowing my body that time to just, you know, see it in increments instead of a big, big challenge um, is, is, a, is a lesson I'm definitely going to take, take forward in future with future challenges. Yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Uh, we have been talking for about an hour now and I think I'm seeing a pattern in you. Like you always hustle, you always take small steps and then you incrementally start in increasing the difficulty of those goals. And then it's, it's a good way of achieving things. I mean, too many people are uh, afraid of taking up something like I want to run 20 miles, I want to run a marathon. And they wouldn't want to practice because they're thinking of that 20 miles. But one mile seems doable to most people. So that's, yeah. Yeah, and even if even in your with your physical fitness, you know, if you find it intimidating to go to the gym, then maybe the first step is to look at their website. You know, then the second Ooh. step is to go in and pick up a brochure. Third step is sign up for a one day trial. Fourth step is go in and do one rep on every machine and leave. And you'll get you'll eventually get yourself to the point where you actually want to be there, and that's the point. You have to be really patient in the process. So if something's overwhelming for you, what's the smallest thing you can do to make it slightly less overwhelming? And that's what I live by. And it probably comes down to the days of being depressed. I knew that taking big actions, I was physically drained. I didn't want to do anything. I knew that yeah. taking the smallest thing every day would pull me out. And um, I recommend it for anybody, especially if you're going through a bad time right now, set the bar really low, but know that setting the bar low isn't a bad thing against you. It's part of the process of pulling you out to become a better you. Yeah, yeah. And so, Jamie, uh, as a listener, I listened to this interview and uh, maybe I'm a 16-year-old boy, I'm a 15-year-old girl, I'm a 35-year-old man or woman and I want to connect with you or maybe I want to do a business deal with you or maybe I want you to consult me or maybe I just want to say hi. Which is the best place to message you? Maybe email you, DM you, which is the best place to contact you? I would say the best the best way to contact me, probably, I check out all my DMs on Instagram. Uh, I don't get back to everybody, to be honest with you, but I at least I at least look at every comment on my Instagram. My TikTok's totally unscalable. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, my, uh, but my Instagram DMs, I certainly see. Um, so yeah, Instagram's probably the best way to reach out to me. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the other problem is TikTok is that you cannot message people who are not your friends. Unless so, you're friends, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, uh, so if you're listening to this interview of uh, Jamie's and if you have a few questions or uh, if you if you heard something you wanted to know more about and maybe I didn't dig into that deep or maybe Jamie didn't talk about it that he might know or maybe he was talking of some strategy and you want to uh, learn those strategies in much detail something that is relevant to your business, something that is relevant to your business idea, whatever it is, you can email those questions to me at steamymarketing at the rate gmail.com. Uh, I'll just uh, link it in the description. And then I'll send them over to Jamie. And once he sends me the answer, I'll just publish them in the next uh, edition of the newsletter so that not only you can learn, but uh, the other subscribers can learn as well. Do it, guys. Do it. I'd yeah. love to hear them. I'd love to hear your questions. I'd love to be able to help Yeah. You. <laughs>